0: Well, you guys have to click and say that the recording is yes. Yeah. sent. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Hello, everyone. This is Office Hours. This is 34. I think I said that last time. I've miscounted twice now, you know, again, for a data sort of analysis company. I hope that the, one of the, the founders has better math skills or at least can count uh, in order but uh, things are hard sometimes and uh, I'm glad that we're just here. Appreciate you two joining. Uh, we are uh, three Musketeers today. One being, uh, well, I'll let you guys introduce yourself. I'm firstly Tyler. What am I doing right now? I'm spending a lot of time on like data visualization and one of the topics that I'm sort of bringing up today which is like, what are d- valuable or compelling points of interest in conversation or language that is fairly universal? So really trying to hone in on that Uh, And this idea of there's a lot of data, how do we pull out the things that matter most? And how can that be relevant to as many people as possible without diluting that effort? So what a wonderful balance that is. Uh, I'll let you guys uh, go ahead and make a little intro.
1: Sure. I'm Lauren. I'm the accountant and administrator. Uh, Lately, I've been focused on writing applications so we can get lots of money because people need monies.
2: Cool. Uh Hey, I'm Nihal, a digital strategist here at Speak. Uh, Recently, well, forever writing, so that's fun. Uh, Should probably try to be a bit more creative with my writing, too. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, yeah, just uh, thinking about how we're going to be moving forward.
0: I like it. Uh, you fired up a new page today that you shared. Do you want to talk about that at all? Uh, maybe what it is, why? That'd be just a nice little starting point here.
2: Oh sure. Uh, so one thing we've been focused on, uh, I guess, from the organic growth perspective, is this whole idea of providing uh, free resources, free tools to the general public. So you know, we've already done that with a word cloud generator. We've done that with like. A fairly simple like text and sentiment analysis tool as well and uh, you know utilizing our system because uh, you know I'm, I'm trying to think within the framework of what we have uh, versus trying to request new things so you know just read <laughs> <damn, I'm> <laughs> no but um, basically trying to create uh, as many free resources as possible for people uh, where they can get you know see utility from the platform uh, without having to necessarily even sign up or pay. Uh, and we kind of go from there. So a lot of MVPs being released, but some, some of them have been uh, generating quite a bit of uh, utility for us, which is, which is good. Um, so we'll see how it performs. If things go well, you know, maybe we can even hit 10K signups by the end of the year if things don't go well. Okay. Uh you, you, you hold me. So. <laughs> I mean, it looks good for me, but if they don't convert, then it doesn't really matter at all that much. Um, but we'll see. It's pretty I, I,
1: Did you do that yourself? The page, or is like VATS1 helping out with the page thing? Uh,
2: I I mean, the landing page I made, but then the uh, I mean, the embed recorders obviously just our embed recorder. <laughs> so yeah.
0: yes, oh, I nice. think you. Yeah. Oh, yes. I think you basically yelled at Natsul enough to force uh, him into uh, adding a, a download button. But it's like you said, it's, it's interesting, like how this is such a widely searched term, but, you know, it's pretty crappy results yeah. that are actually appearing for it. So I think it's, I mean, you've been right with several attempts with some of these other tools or just like pages that can generate signups and relevant traffic. So I think this is a, a, another good one that's worthwhile and I'm excited to see it. Did you uh, index that page on a search
2: console? Yeah, I mean, I I launched it. It'll probably take a day or two to get indexed. And then I'm basically banking on the fact that even though, you know, our DA isn't like the highest, like a lot of the top ranking pages are pretty shit. Sorry. But (laughs) it's um, minus the established companies, like the companies that are maybe, you know, just, or even just people who've created like a free tool. Like we probably will never outrank them. Um, just for that specific thing but even just gaining uh, a bit of tra- traction there kind of builds context around our product and our site because you know th- the hope in this situation is someone comes into let's say just I don't know like test their microphone or record themselves for whatever reason and then they see that they actually have the option to transcribe and analyze what they just did um, and then you know hopefully see value in the platform and well, honestly, there's no real like drawback to doing it because uh, the only thing I was worried about was cost uh, in terms of people using the actual tool. But I believe if we don't um, transcribe and analyze it automatically, uh, there's no, uh, it, there's not a large cost yeah. to actually oh. just having that live. Inside. Those costs are
0: very minimal. Yeah, yeah exactly. worth worth, so. it. worth it, we'll take it, so. so we'll see. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, uh, thank you. I, I did my best to do a screen share there. I, I, I noticed the pop-up uh, came up. I will filter that uh, URL out, but that's contributing to signups against all odds. Uh, so I like it. Uh, the value proposition must be there, and uh, four people are just happy enough to get free anything, uh, as the call to action says, and have uh, at least signed up for using that. So. This is a larger topic, um, but you know something I'm interested in. It's been a trend that we've talked about a little bit um, over the over the I think all of these office hours. But obviously, again, big focus here has been on this sort of data visualization perspective. And one of the things that you know I'm trying to think of, based maybe off small amount of signals, but still some signals from I guess our own sharing, but also seeing things out in the wild, uh, is that you know data visualization. Um, can be a really powerful sort of storytelling tool that actually is very engaging as content online. And so a couple, you know, signals, you know, for ER me are something like there's a website called Visual Capitalist that, you know, I mean, is basically data porn uh, for these sort of people. Uh, it's a beautiful, you know, beautiful um, thing worth worthwhile checking out the way that they sort of break down. And it's, it's a lot of quantitative data, but they do these wonderful info, infographics and interactive visualizations. Um, the other one that I was, I was looking at was like uh, uh, just like infographics. I was just looking up that term, which is like one of the most competitive terms on the internet. Uh, I don't know if you like, even since I first typed it up maybe a couple months ago, it is like on If you type one on a S- SEMrush, it's like a hundred. And it's like, you will not rank for this page uh, or this this query, basically. So there's definitely a, a drive to it. And what I've seen talking to people is that a lot of people will use infographics to be like a sort of like a lead tool or um, like a link generation tool. So they'll build an infographic, say this is something which is relevant to your blog. Would you mind including this uh, in your article and then share back? And so there's something, I think, really fascinating about that. And, you know, just uh, a couple other things like, some sharing that we had done. So we did that Drake analysis, which we talked about last time, but also just very quickly shared out, like sort of automatically generated. It's really cool how automatic it is now, because I dynamically populate the titles. Um, basically just a quick analysis of the Apple event that happened, I think at the start of this week, shared it into a couple spaces, LinkedIn sort of got some traction uh, with a couple you know, comments and people messaging us. And it's just like people having this cultural event, you know, sort of summarized and and visualized in a different way that is an engaging piece of content, especially for people who are interested in that. So I guess I'll leave it there, but I'm just trying to think of, you know, how do we use our own visualization tools? Maybe some of them are still rudimentary, but how do we use them in our own content strategy? Then how can we also communicate that this is a valuable thing for other companies and potential customers to be adopting uh, and then, with that, what are the most interesting and valuable things to actually do uh, that analysis
2: for? I think to your point, the I don't know if I'm going to be saying this word is it virality or vir- virality? I will take both. It doesn't matter. Like the virality of like a good visualization is is very understated and. Not, not to say that it hasn't been done right infographics are an amazing way to not only gain backlinks, but just to gain brand awareness and traction, right? That's why so many educational based businesses, you know, whether that's your, uh, SM rush, your Moz, you know, whatever, I mean, obviously talking on the marketing side, but even if you were to look at, um, SaaS, like I'm, I'm pretty sure Gong has a couple of, uh, infographics HubSpot, right. Where they're spreading awareness of themselves as leaders in the field purely through visual storytelling. Right. Uh, and that's super powerful. Um, and kind of points to, you know, points to your comment earlier about it being such an, such a competitive space that if it, it genuinely is one of those things where, you know, from a pragmatic perspective, it doesn't matter. Right. Like as long as you're getting the data onto a page and people can read it, you're technically doing the job. But from a user delight perspective, um, people don't like looking at ugly dashboards or at ugly uh, infographics. Right. Um, Because it's like uh, uh, it it doesn't really spark that same level of joy um, when an average consumer looks at it right, like someone that isn't super technical. Like for, for technical people, technical people don't care about how something looks, right? They're just like, oh great, that does the job for me. Um, and I think for example, that was something I was talking to you about with respect to like Samsung Health versus Apple Health, right, where you kind of see the two different approaches where Apple Health is very focused on user, user you know, like making the end user very happy. Well, the Samsung Health I'd say has a lot more detail but it really relies on the end user to glean information from that in their own way. Um, So rolling that back into what we can do with what we actually have, I still think there's strong value there. For example, some of the infographics you created were actually really good. Um, (laughs) So, you know, considering that you were able to auto-generate those more or less, right? Uh, Like obviously there was the data cleaning aspect, but once that was done, you just plugged it into the, the, the GDS and printed it out for you, more or less, which I thought was, thought was pretty impressive and kind of gives us a framework for when we can actually just hire someone to make it prettier, right? Uh, and then the next element of that as a content strategy, I guess, would be actually figuring out distribution channels and how we um, do that for people, right? Because there'd be two people that, or two groups of people, two major groups. It would be, the people that just want to look at the end result, and then the people that would look at the end result and want to create things, okay. similar things, right? So um, how exactly we do that, I feel like that's that's really up to us. And in terms of creating the visualizations, I, I wouldn't say any of us have design as our strong suit. So, hey. Hey, hey. Hey. <laughs> so kind of visual, visual design. Not, oh, not yeah. functional.
0: So that's uh, all that, just came in here. And now, now you've heard his feeling. I'm, I'm he's dead. probably going to leave right away.
2: <laughs> no, uh, visual design. Uh, I, I think in terms of functionality, like we do a pretty good job. Like the more I even look at other apps in the space, the functionality is essentially there. Right? Like it, once people know what they're doing, they just do what they do. But when it comes to shareable assets, I think a certain level of visual polish is, uh, is never a bad thing. Right? especially especially nowadays with things like Canva and stuff. They just hit, what, 40 billion in valuation, right? Yeah, for nope, nope.
0: They, 40, yeah 40 billion, Raised 200 million, million, add yeah, that to yeah.
2: So it's like pretty nuts, literally for, hey, paste things on this page <laughs> and share it, right? So,
0: um, so well, some cool speak, things there. It speaks to, and I mean, we sort of should talk about that earlier, but it just speaks to that, that power of like visual storytelling the the impact that visuals actually have and like for for you know there I think was it you who shared it who was like something about like WTF data or something it was like this site of like basically data visualization gone wrong and it was just horrible and clunky and like made no sense and it's almost like looking at art in a way where it's like there's one part of it which is okay the data speaks to me through this visualization and and the other is like but this is also extremely visually pleasing. You know, and I want to continue to look at that. I know, you know, uh, Nihal, your critique of it is—I mean, which I think we all agree on a little bit—is this green it's too bright. So how do we how do we deal with that? And then even another really interesting thing that emerged. This week we sort of did, I mean, very simple, but just tried to improve like very small, like level of visualization within the system. I mean, we haven't done anything with the sentiment yet, but this chart, I don't have a previous one. So people might still find this bland, but it's actually a measurable improvement. But one of the things that we sort of had the debate on and it's a best practice, which is we had multicolor sort of visualizations because we are sort of trying to get away from the branded green of speak maybe being too strong. But what became very clear, what was important, was that you're, if you're at those colors are adding no additional value, or it's actually uh, it's actually skewing how someone represents or understands that data because they could be focusing on a color, thinking that that has meaning and it doesn't. So it's also sort of this mix of like art and science of the visualization that is really interesting to try to crack. And then when applied to language data, it's even more you know, of a sophisticated way to get there. And then you break up audio and video and speech versus actual written text. And it adds a whole other element. And then one final part that I'm sort of navigating through right now is like, for example, on Twitter, I can share that infographic. Uh, Like I'll just share quickly so people can see what that looks like. This idea here where it's like the Apple event. And it was, you know, it was pretty cool. It was very quick, you know, and again, like completely automated. And what was even cool here is like getting better at pulling out quotes automatically. So it's like length of sentence plus sentiment score, pick one quote only. And it's actually from multiple tests, it has been pretty good. But the problem is on LinkedIn, you can't open up the image and zoom in, especially on desktop on Twitter. You can, so you can't just format the visuals as one standardized one. There's actual need to format it to the you know best practices of those platforms so that people can then interact with the data in the most valuable way so it was cool that people liked this on linkedin but when i went back to review it after i posted it i'm like you can't even really tell what's in here unless you actually download the image and zoom in on yourself or you're on mobile and then can, can zoom in so like thinking of of that and i mean that's where canva just in that case has been so powerful because they allowed you to not just create an image, but on premium plans, like this, they auto resize that image for every single platform automatically. And as platforms continue to grow, as desktops and mobile devices continue to grow, this is a, a difficult task. And if you can, you know, reduce the amount of work and manual labor and make that repeatable, there's a lot of value uh, added there. Well, and I'll just ask you a question that actually about this. Cause you, you do, you do, you deal with like raw financial data but then you've also do visualizations of that. So I'm just wondering from your perspective of any lessons that you learned when visualizing financial data, any impact that you've seen, even when you're trying to communicate things and you do like the quarterly representation and bar charts versus actually just showing raw, like Excel or Google Sheet data. I'd be interested to know if you have any insights or thoughts on, on data visualization in your own sort of role and work.
1: Um. Yeah, it's all a matter of how you present it, like, to begin with. Um, you kind of have to know, like, what people are looking for. Like, the point of data visualization is that people have, like, a question, and the answering it is just the, the data visualization allows you to answer it very quickly, very cleanly. It's uh, easy to come to a, a conclusion, an opinion, right away from infographics. Uh, I've, As far as, like, research goes, just not even about, like, finances, just about any like thing like health or whatever. I really do not read reports. I feel like I've gone all of my opinions on life through infographics at some point or another, just because they're so fast, uh, of just digesting a lot of uh, information. Um, it's also a matter of, there's a lot of like design rules that, uh, I don't know. Uh, Leon had touched on them. He kind of gave us like a bit of a crash course into it of like the different, uh, design rules that cause you to feel in a certain way. Cause like when you get into like data visualizations, stuff like that, you're kind of getting into like emotions to a degree. Cause then I was like, this color makes you think this way. We want people to look at this data and be happy. Um, so it's kind of, you have to think about the audience. You have to think about like what you want them to see. You have to think about like what their question is to begin with. Like, why are they even looking at this to begin with and answer that as quickly as possible. Uh, cleanly as possible, and to not, um, don't break any design uh, rules, which we probably don't know too well, um, in order to make them feel the way that we want them to feel. Uh, so it's a lot of it's a lot of thought, and uh, for me, I'm just kind of more worried about like the numbers. Just get that out there as quickly as possible, but uh, yeah, not everybody thinks that way, so. It's very, um, doesn't seem it, but it's quite the uh, psychological experiment I find. I uh, also just wanted to ask if is here because he's joined us, but he hasn't said a word.
3: Yes, I'm here, too.
0: Are you just listening because this is a wonderful conversation or are you, uh, do you have any input on this? what uh, so you were hacking away at some data viz this week. Any insights uh, on the
3: journey? I'm gonna do in and out uh, uh, i'm just feeling feeling a little down here so uh, trying to keep the camera off so nothing nothing else uh but yeah that was the good experience i never worked uh, to be honest on the visualization before uh on the technical and creating charts and stuff but it's, it's pretty standard it's it's straightforward library you need to pass the data and uh, choose how do you want to uh, decide the colors, number of rows, number of bars. Uh, do you want to override that? Do you want to hover that? Uh, and how do you want to display those data? So that was the one hack uh, sort of a, a change from those bar chart. Uh, uh, on the explore page, what do what you just say, Tyler? Uh, and it's like now it's sort of a vertical chart. So the next hack going to do is probably on the sentiment chart. Uh, I mean, I agree, Lauren, on a couple of your points. Uh, I mean, another, another, this is my personal point of view, but I also, when I see the visualization, I want to, I want to feel them. If I don't feel them, they, if the feeling is not there, I'm not going to get the, the data or output or the numbers from it. So the, I mean, feeling is the most important thing for me in the visualization. It's like when we see that the best advertisement, you can just connect it with them. It's like when they sell the product, it is, you just got connected. It's like, wow, this is amazing. So that's the same story. Uh, those are the yeah, two the things. Engagement. Went, but yeah, yeah.
0: And I mean, and I think there's, I guess, there's just a couple things of like different layers of it too, which is you end up in different places, which is, say, that infographic that you share on LinkedIn, that's a, that's a completely static representation of that data. If you go take, uh, if you would then navigate in the Speak app, the the, the visualizations become more uh, interactive. And even for example, the word cloud, you can click on the word cloud and then listen back to every instance of that word being said. So it's a whole new level of interactivity, engagement built through that visualization. I think the next level of that is can you embed charts on pages and increase you know with high performance without you know you know lagging out those pages and still giving that layer of interactivity because you have a lot more flexibility when you can add tool tips or things like that or when you hover over it gives more meaning or more information you're really restricted in just an image printout um, of that visualization so um,
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, sort of, that's correct. I mean, I was looking at different charts, library, which are available right now. It's mostly, most of them are using by everyone. Consider the three uh, Apex chart, charts.js. There was one with the hyper chart or something. So it's like all of them are the standard. If If you see the comparison just by doing Google, you will see that most of them are dependent on the performance and the performance has the, the direct correlation with the number of data points you feed to the chart. So what does that mean is when you are when you are feeding more than 1,000 data points, the performance is gonna suffer. So you might see the latency, the charts might take more time and a lot of stuff are gonna go connected. So, I mean, everything is ch- chart is chart. It's like bar chart is bar chart. There's no uh, rocket science in that, but it's just about number of data points with all this library.
0: Well, and it, I mean, it adds up really quickly when we, like, there's a big difference when you uh, doing uh, your word cloud and your bar chart for this month to date versus all time. That's a, a big load that's actually coming through to then be visualized. And again, very powerful in the end, that representation is wonderful, but you see that in Google data studio and other visualization services, how long that, you know, you see the loading bar running uh, it, it takes so long to actually pull all that information together and then display it. You know, just from another perspective, the way that I've looked at it, as I was doing some research on data, you know, data viz software, like there are, you know, amazing tools, Tableau and things like this. And it's crazy how uh, it's expensive these tools are. I don't know the exact uh, numbers, but like Tableau for, you know, enterprise, you're looking at hundred K plus for a visualization tool. And of course it has, you know, a way to pull in all these valuable inputs and deal with quantitative data. And what was amazing, like, I don't know how we could get to this, but I was watching some Tableau examples and it was like, it would take the data and it would actually print it out in sentence format as like a summary. So that was also really like, it would say like, I don't I, I have no goddamn example right now, but like, you know, when you are in London, you eat, you know, you eat, you know, 20% more Big Macs. I don't know why that was the example that I used, but it took that data and then used it intelligently, would print it out into sentence format. So that's another way of sort of representing information that's really valuable. And the reason Tableau and these systems are so valuable is because when you deal with a C suite and executives, They don't even have that much time to get dedicated to dealing with raw information. They just want sort of the visual representation. They're relying on their analysts that it's accurate information and represented well. And they use that to make very important decisions. So like trying to also go along in that journey. And we have both opportunities with that, like visualizing things more in graph formats, but then also giving like things like highlight reels or, you know summaries of conversations and, and language um, that can can be very powerful if done well, but then it can also be, I would say, maybe the word is too extreme, but detrimental if not done well. If you're representing that information not accurately, so um, definitely a lot of thought being put into this. Uh, I know it's maybe not all what you guys think about, but for some reason, like data visualization has been a big part of my career through analytics data, and it's nice to sign trying to be taking something that I'm much more interested and passionate about which is language and conversation and, and trying to do some work there to produce value
1: there can be some quite uh, in-depth uh, graphs as well i think when you get to the point where you have like a whole database of graphs and they're all connected in some way so like you have your one graph that you're having in a presentation and um maybe someone has a question they want to go a bit deeper uh things like you know tableau um and software of like that nature, you can like click into the graph and it takes you like down deeper into like another like subgraph. Um, so it's a great way of just having all of your data super super accessible and like right away. Um, I think what we have right now is mostly just like PDFs, so there isn't really a lot of uh, diving down that we can do at the moment. Um, but yeah, it just opens up a whole it just makes it so easy just to get to the bottom of things like right away. And uh, I don't know, maybe it depends on uh, who really needs to get you know deeper and deeper. Um, I'm just trying to think of like, from like a medical standpoint, um, what would maybe they want to go from like an overarching look of like all the patients that they have um, like over the past month and they would say, oh, okay, something's, Wrong over here. Can we dive a little deeper into like this pool of uh, this pool of patients? Um, so yeah, there's just so much opportunity there uh, to improve for us, especially too. Um,
0: yeah. I guess it just sort of leans in on, on you know, which is like also what I'm sort of trying to think about right now, which is like, what are these u- Again, the word is too broad and universal because you can't be everything to everyone, and that's something that we're actually purposely trying to avoid. But which is this idea of like, what are the most crucial points in a conversation? uh, You know, in a presentation, in a even like a you know a patient-practitioner relationship. I mean, those are pretty vast differences. Even as someone I talked to earlier this week, what's the most important parts of a investor talking to a founder? You know, there's all these moments in life where there's these very crucial conversations. Um, you know, generally we're in a place today where we're processing too much information as people. And sometimes, I mean, maybe this is my solely my experience, but I actually doubt it. It's like, I almost sometimes black out (laughs) in conversations because it's just a stream of consciousness and you're trying to live in the present and, you know, contribute to that conversation as much as possible. And then generally what happens is people in a good way, if done right, you know, action comes from that meeting. If not, maybe you know, maybe you had a good meeting, but nothing really comes out of it. But what we're seeing now is again, recordings of all these meetings and conversations and webinars. And then what I find is, again, this becomes a sort of siloed asset that people then don't re-access or they don't review. Most people don't wanna review or listen back to meetings that they were part of. Um, so like what I've been trying to hone in on, and we've seen examples of this is like, what are the most important parts of a conversation, so I don't know, maybe I' just ask you guys if you have any thoughts on this and maybe even using this example today, maybe this isn't specifically a meeting, but it's an office hours that we do based off all your experience in the one that we've had, but then also meetings like what what's the most important part of this this meeting how do what do you view as that hard
3: question, right yeah
2: sorry, could you, could you like so what are you looking for? Like, what do we think is the most important part about yeah,
0: like our it meetings? does Yeah, I mean, it just, and then obviously our meetings is that I'm sort of using that as a use case because we're having a personal experience right. of that right now. But in general, with the kind of tool that we have and the analysis that's possible, like what is the most valuable thing that needs to be provided to someone after something is done so that they can then derive value from it?
1: Just even from, like, our own internal uh, meetings, too. I'm thinking, like, every time we have um, something to discuss, uh, we do a pretty good job of having questions beforehand. Um, So I'm thinking, like, you're asking, like, how the tool uh, can be used. I guess you can um, try and find the answers to that questions from the actual transcript. Uh, Maybe there is a way of tagging that, though, uh, because it's just... It's not so you know cut and dry like here's a question, here's the answer. you kind of have to go throughout the whole conversation and come to an conclusion on the answer, or even with like um this g p t three thing, maybe you could find uh be able to summarize what we've been talking about to come to you know a better answer than what just individually what we said um that's all I'm thinking of yeah
2: I, th- I think some of the points you I guess I've shared like when we were discussing how to derive value. I, I think the categorization um, of sentences um, could could be used in different ways, right? Because right now it's very much, I guess our categories are kind of like keyword keyword based. But you know, if we were to expand that, where let's say we display under sub tabs right, uh, you know, questions, right? And it, it could not, it might not be 100% accurate, but it's like any, it, it'll just populate all the sentences of as part of that recording that had, you know, let's say a question mark uh, at the end of it. And it, it gives you a starting point where, let's say post meeting, you're like, okay, what were some of the, I guess, big questions that popped up during this meeting? Um, and it'll populate that for you. Um, I, I know there are other products that do this already, but you know they'll provide you with action items, uh, whatever those we categorize that to be, they'll provide you with uh, you know maybe problems right or problems that were brought up which are maybe tagged by negative maybe if it's below a certain sentiment score, right we, that, that's how you categorize it. Um, I feel like those are some kind of top-level use cases. Uh, I, I did see a neat one that I shared with you recently where they basically had, had a voice assistant built into the platform where as they're meeting, so it integrates with their actual meeting platform. And as they're um, doing the meetings, they actually, they can do things like, hey, blank, right? add an action item to do blank and will like mark it at that point in the recording. Uh, And then you can like review all of those at the end of the thing. But then, you know, I could see us doing that manually, even just as simple as, uh, record. you know, you can leave comments on different parts of a recording, as an example, Uh, and then those would populate on a side panel or something where it can be reviewed.
0: Um, That's, that's, uh, you know, like the one team that we're working for right now, they've actually given sort of, Commands to their people who are recording using our system to use certain keywords or phrases to then indicate where they are in that process. So it is a practitioner relationship there with a patient, and it's really interesting, I guess, what you just mentioned, which is, do you build, uh, you know, do you try to make behavioral change into people who are part of those meetings, or can you make your system intelligent enough where they don't necessarily need behavioral change and it then automatically detects it? So. I do find there's a very like crucial moment at the end of a like. that's always tries to set it up, you know. Before he's just like, "Why are we here?" Uh, you know, and then at the end, it's like, "Okay, great, this presentation is done, or we've talked about this. What do we do now?" And I think like that's the really important part. Realistically, not that the it's not that the the the, pre, the part before that is unimportant, but really in the end of it, if we are to review and think, okay, this meeting happened, all I really need to know is what do I do now? You know, maybe there's, I learned this and here's what are the next steps. And, you know, even something like next steps then becomes a very important part. And I think where I've seen value and we had it for a while, Nihal, I don't think you ever saw it, um, but was like, we did me. I think we did needs and wants or something. It was like, and so we had a little tab, and it was like, here's everything that you said you needed. And it wasn't just needed, it was like, if you said require or I have to, it was basically all those sort of like intents around me. It would actually display in your dashboard and it could summarize, it could actually pull all the sentences from every audio, video, and text entry that you had put into the system. And, you know, there was a choice to, for us to remove that, but at a, a at a level, it was actually a very valuable thing. And it wasn't quite there, but I, in a way, I was almost using it to replace Trello because I would just do unstructured voice notes or even text notes into the system, and then they would populate into that dashboard, and I could even review the last three days or last this week, what were those things. So I think there is a really powerful interface, which then breaks the, the, the siloed, part where we talk about which, where we've seen other companies do, you know, again, uh, action items, uh, solutions, pain points, things like this within conversations, but then are often just leaving it specific to that individual file. So you actually need to drill down into each file to then pull that out. And how can you actually avoid that? And the other part, which one something that we've actually tried to take a crack at before, which is like, how can we provide an email summary? of that day or of that week or of that month with those most crucial points in those conversations or text entries or whatever it is. And again, it's a very hard challenge when you have different groups of people coming into the system, but still there are very important parts in every one of our conversations that's indicated, maybe at a very simple level, keywords and phrases, but at a higher level, um, you know, the sort of uh, importance or criticalness of what has now taken place in the conversation. And that could be a as simple as what do we do now? I'll leave this here then. Uh, You know, we'll continue to drive down in that. And again, like, you know, this this could be different for different people. So again, one thing we've talked about is a SOAP assessment. And, you know, that's a very crucial part of a patient practitioner relationship. And those are different things that are then valuable than a normal conversation. It's different when you're in a sales call versus meeting a friend. It's different in an investor and founder relationship and, uh, you know, a parent, you know, parent, uh, uh, you know, son or something. So lots of challenges in that. We're not trying to solve all of those. So that's also something we need to consider. It's a Friday here. So I guess, Nihal, I'm going to let you um, take on this topic that we didn't quite get to last week um, about sort of, I mean, I don't want to spoil the topic, generative AI, sort of creative applications of technology. So I'll let you maybe summarize a little bit of that. We can jump into it and have some fun while we wrap up this
3: office hours. Uh, Sure, so
2: I I think the question last week was your favorite creative application of AI. Um, so, So I guess generative AI falls under that but i guess that was just more of a fun because i don't think we touched upon that no so i just thought it was a fun little um end of conversation you know a bit of banter we could have about you know obviously there's the pragmatic and useful useful um parts to like ai application but what are some things that you've seen some ways people have used ai or you know whether that's uh Machine vision, whether that's voice based, whatever it may be, uh, to create exciting creative opportunities. So you know, from from my perspective, the one I tried, I played around with last week, and I, I kind of revisit anytime I just have like ten minutes to kill is uh, AI Dungeon. I don't know if you've ever given that a go, um, and I, I think it's fascinating. As someone that likes fantasy, and I like fiction books and novels and the stories that thing comes up with, it's, it's just so ludicrous
3: that it's, it's
2: great, you yeah. <laughs> And just the way it uh, prompts you to actually, I guess, like keep the story going, the way it just creates worlds based on, you know, whatever the, the GPT-3 data set it has is, it's, it's very fascinating. So I'm not sure if you, you folks have uh, specific examples of, of things you love as well.
1: Is that the one where it's kind of like one of those old uh, DOS yes. games? Where you kind it's of like, like type in, it's like, oh, RPG. walk, walk here, yes. pick up this. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, What's the, uh, what's the most um, bizarre
2: uh, story you've run into then through that?
1: Does it get a bit too wacky or is it
2: kind of grounded you find? I I, th- I believe when they first launched, like I, just from what I read, I think there was, there were some issues with it. Like people were using it to create really uh messed up stories, but I think they've added more filters over time to, you know, uh, prevent things like, like bestiality and stuff, right? Like, like avoid, avoid weird things like that. Um, So the last one I did, uh, I don't know if this is ridiculous, but the whole story started off as me being a knight in this, uh, in this town, and I was, I was in love with the baker. Right. Like that, that was one of the things. And so I was like, okay, let, let me check out this baker. And I walk in and then it's like, oh, you walked in and the baker like seductively winked at you while waving their freshly baked buns. Right. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? Um, I'm going to buy a bun or get a bun. Right. And I'm like, okay, like clearly I, I'm like romantically involved with this person. So they're not going to make me pay. And it's like, it basically told me, yeah, this, this loaf of bread is going to cost you like 10 million currency or whatever it is. And I'm like, I thought we were in love. <laughs> so I, it, it was a, it was a pretty funny, funny experience. And I like that it's, it doesn't take itself too seriously either. Uh, I mean, I guess it can't take itself too seriously. So that that, that was uh, pretty funny
0: i think it just speaks to something too of you having a completely sort of unique original experience like you're generating a world that only you are going to have and that's such a powerful human thing like at a core level it seems like we have this drive as humans to be creators different ways that we exercise that but the fact that we now have technology augmenting that tribal human desire in, and actually like a very heartwarming way in some cases is like a pretty beautiful, profound thing. And again, yes, people are going to take it dark. I think if we looked at all our office hours, that was the first time uh had been uh, used. Um, but, uh, you know, there are so many, you know, that's when I talk about it all the time. Like there's all these, you know, applications of technology that can be used in probably negative or scary or horrible ways, but there's also much just so much the light and magic and beauty that can be created.
2: I also think maybe sometimes, you know, when I think about AI and its application, like, I think AI has been used for way longer than it's been in the mainstream, right? And I- I'd say from just a video game perspective, like, I I still remember this one fact that I learned in um, the game, uh, like, Metal Gear Solid Five, um, where the AI was reactive to what you did right so basically if you early game or at any point if you were basically getting too many headshots um basically what you'd find is as you kept playing enemies would be more likely to wear helmets right uh, and i'm sure that's very simple like there's probably a counter where it's like oh if you know like headshot percentage is above blank like start put on helmets right but i thought that like little little things like that i, I think just add that sense of wonder Right. It's like, oh, that's like a real person, right? <laughs> which which I think is
0: cool. Just, you know, it's a little different. I was thinking about it the other day because uh, I, I was a pretty big shooter gamer when I was growing up, and uh, bat- new battlefields coming out. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe it's not the same, but there's obviously a lot of dynamics that go into those buildings and maps being completely destroyed and becoming like your battle that you had this tank destroyed this building. And in that way, you know, in another game in the exact same map, that building had never been destroyed in that exact same way. So the experience is so personal and this sort of communal event that is happening. And I think the more we can actually leverage technology in that way, of course, there's probably a difference between you killing each other in a 64 versus 64 battle online. But there's a lot of other things like just a couple applications that I've seen recently. There's actually a place in Toronto right now where you can go and I don't know how they actually manage this, but you go in and the lights and the music is then responding to your heartbeat. So it's like an interactive exhibit. And I don't know, I think, I don't know if they're putting like one person in at a time or if they're actually grabbing, for example, how could you do that on a communal level where you're doing breath work with people and syncing people and then reflecting the experience that they're having with lights and music and sound. And they've gone as far in some cases to now introduce sense and things using this kind of analysis so there's like some amazing potential there one of the things that i really been thinking about that's when i've been playing around with it we've been playing around with it all together for a bit it's been just this like image generation thing and like that's all high, i wouldn't say that's all had skepticism of it but he stumbled across sort of some art on twitter that was built by some of this things and like sort of had that same profound experience that maybe i had had when i first came across it which is like the fact that you can just type something and it's created is in- incredible. Like, I went and watched this, went to this uh, interactive Monet exhibit, like the artist, sort of like the Van Gogh exhibit a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it was really beautiful. But I just thought of it, that. that I would spend, he would gather all his paint and then sit on, outside for five hours and paint this thing. And, and now, you with no artistic skill can just paint with just your imagination and have it reflected and then tune variables. To make it more trippy or less trippy or whatever. Like I just this it, it is in a scary way almost a godly power that is being given to us. And just one other thing, little that sticks out to me was like it's actually a person who asked they're building this application for sort of digital therapeutics for mental health, and they're tr- it's really interesting what they want to do, which is they're trying to transcend representation of emotions and how someone's feeling across language, and so. It's really interesting. I've been doing analysis on some of the notes that I've been taking in Speak since I can now export them much cleaner and do. And it's really amazing to see sort of like trends and analysis. But the other thought that I had is the prompt that you're putting in, depending on how you're using it, is also could be a representation of how you were feeling at the time. It's completely unique and original to you, and it's only for you. And it's almost like a a swipe book, like a photo library of emotions or feelings that you had represented in a different way than just sort of like analysis of the language that you are using. And so I just imagined this sort of, yeah, this thing where you could go and reflect on how you were feeling and just look at an image that was completely yours and represented that at the time. I just thought that was really beautiful and I think that we'll see more representations of ourselves through technology like this in the, in the future.
1: Um, one guy I've been following lately, uh, if you've probably heard of him, this Kyle Dunnigan guy is also using the, uh, the deep fake, uh, AI to, uh, have like, you know, uh, celebrity faces on, uh, like over his face so he can act it out. And, uh, it's just remarkable how much more, um, range you can have with that. Like how much more visual humor you can add to things. And it just opens up a whole world of um, you know movies and entertainment going forward as well where um, you can have like you know dead actors pretty much reliving uh, or like doing a new role it's just a matter of I guess the voice you can get like their face kind of there it's it looks pretty you can definitely tell right away it's a deep fake but uh, it just shows that maybe eventually there won't even be people around there'll just be a bunch of Robots with auto auto generated faces and voices and all that. I don't know, but
0: uh, he's hilarious. He actually like was a comedian who sort of broke boundaries by using this technology. He would have like, I guess, the Kardashian family all talking at once, but it's all him. And to think the complexity of the execution of some of how he would do that is having to record those conversations and then time them. It, like you're almost building a multiverse with that where you're like having that conversation, but you then you need to time it. And then he'd have to time their reactions. Like that actually is a pretty incredible uh, thing that he's doing. And then just one other thing that you sort of said was um, Val Kimmer is a famous actor. He's famously lost his voice. I forget exactly what happened here, but.
1: Uh, yes. Throat cancer.
0: Yeah. throat cancer. And, and so synantic who was the previous speak AI, they actually rebuilt his voice through voice cloning technology. And he actually then narrated a movie or a documentary. So it was a really, like obviously it's a scary thing that this is possible, but for Val Kimmer and the people who were part of that project for him to be able to restore his voice and be able to tell his story, like that's incredible, uh, and we had never had anything close to that. And it's you know completely realistic, and there was enough data for them to build that voice back up, and just an amazing use case for technology. Again, lots of applications that this could go poorly, but also something that has made someone feel like they can again communicate uh, again, and that's that's a that's a beautiful thing. So, um, Kyle Donegan. Check it out, that's interesting stuff. One that I, never, I hadn't thought of that at all, but that was a really uh, good, good one to bring up. That's what you there? Any uh, thoughts from you before we wrap this
3: up? Oh, this is great, I enjoy it. Uh, Next time I'll come back, but there are two Twitter handles you should look at. Uh, uh, I saw you Tyler, but one is images underscore AI. It's called images generated by AI machine. And the second is art by an AI. Uh, that's the twitter handler art by an ai and once you do that you're going to see a couple of people who are really working in that one is uh weird name a twitter name tag, uh, handler it's called reverse have wings reverse have wings It's sort of a writer uh, see sorry she's is a writer and, and 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 writes pretty interesting articles around that so uh, yeah and once you want to look at the website uh, See, as yes, I think, so, around couple hundreds of blogs around just the same story. So, yeah, if 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 you are interested to dip down into like how things work and what's what's a, what's the a engine behind that, that is that is very interesting. Uh, uh, versus compared to uh, it's like there is a very famous Google Collab uh, for this clip generation and stuff, image generation, where you can just enter the prompt, change a variable, and uh, create the hyper. I would say hyperlinked images and stuff, realistic images, uh, VR images, but there's so much power uh, goes behind on these computers and it's like uh, the, the the machine learning models and stuff. So see so right sort of in balance and there are a couple more amazing writers uh, you can find out, but uh, these are the couple I found uh, over the last weekend. So yeah, uh, anyway, th- th- it was really fun. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll come back with the camera setup and everything next time. But yeah, it was wonderful.
0: I appreciate taking. In a way, I take joy, but I also feel bad. It's like taking that so away from practicality. Uh, you know, like it just that's a, well, that's of- a fun. That's <laughs> the thing, right? When you <laughs> want to do the creative stuff, <laughs> yeah.
3: uh, then the second thought you would do is like, okay, how are we gonna pay bills? So it's yeah. sort of a balance. How you can find out uh, the creativity. Uh, what do you want to do, what do you enjoy the most and the boring stuff versus it's like, yeah, uh, you know what we gotta do because this is what is gonna solve today's problem but at the same time, having forward thinking to solve tomorrow's problem. So that's sort of called the leadership. So that's the great thing to have.
0: Okay, guys, this was perfect. We did 1 p.m. exactly. Any, uh, any thoughts before we uh, wrap up this avatar? This is a great one. That's no, it's wonderful. good. Okay. Well, thank you all for joining. That's I appreciate you making the uh, the entry, even when you're not feeling so great. A pleasure to have you here. And uh, thank you guys. Have a great, great weekend. If I don't talk to you and anyone who tuned in, who watched this, really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as, uh, as, much as we did.
3: Appreciate it. Thank you.